Good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. I want to go ahead and talk to you this morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2 to continue with our study. The word unity is defined as the state of being united or joined as a whole. The idea of unity is being on the same page in regards with what matters most. If you have a business leader, then his desire is to have a team that's united and so that they can serve their clients and also they can make a profit. And if you have the homeschool mom, the stay home mom or whatever kind of mom it is, you want there to be unity in your home. Amen, moms? All right, you're still at the conference. You want unity in your home so that you can accomplish the purpose by which you have. And if you're a sports manager or the manager of a team, then you want unity on your team so that you can accomplish the goal of winning the game like the Red Sox did this past weekend, amen? Go Red Sox, Boston strong, amen? So um, I'm a Red Sox fan. And uh, so if you're a manager, then you want there to be chemistry. You want there to be unity on a, pointing at an ultimate goal. And, and if you're, you're married, you know that it is absolutely essential for you to be on the same page, on major stuff. Not whether or not you use this toothpaste over this toothpaste, but whether or not, hey, are we in agreement? Are we unified on the main thing? And I need your help this morning. Because right at this particular time, 21 years of being together, 17 year, years of marriage, Dana and I are not unified on whether to buy or not buy a dog. Now, what you don't understand is that when we got married, we, like Brian, had a clause in our uh, vows. And I had two special ones. Now, the first one I had was, thou shall not eat cottage cheese in front of thy husband. I do not like cottage cheese. The second one was, we will not, under any circumstance, get a dog. Now, listen, you're a dog lover. Many of you might be. But I'm scared to death of a dog. And at this particular time, my wife and I, we're not quite on the same page whether or not to buy a dog or to get a dog. And I believe Pastor Brian's on Dana's side because he sent me a website about golden doodles about a dog. And so I think he's on her side. Well, here's the deal. This is why I am not for dogs because I'm scared of them. And it happened in 1994 when I was working with the Shelby Police Department as an intern in college. And so what I would do is I would work at different aspects of the police department. And one particular day, I was always scared of dogs. I've always have been scared of dogs. I was bit in the fourth grade by a Sheltie on my elbow, riding my 10-speed bike. And so I was, uh, I was down in the tuck and the bike came and it got me and it drew blood. And anyway, so I, I just not very fearful. And dogs know if you're fearful of them, which makes me more scared of them because they know that I, they have the upper hand. And so here's what happens, working with the Shelby Police Department, and I'm doing an intern going through different, different kinds of things. And so, do different jobs. Well, this particular day, they said, Matt, we need some help at the K-9 unit. Thank you. Yeah, I was like, huh? And so what we want to do is we want to go out to this, this field and we want, to, we want to test the dogs on, you know, attacking and going after the sleeve. Would you be comfortable putting on the sleeve? And I'm like, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And I said, okay, well, we'll get you into another thing later. So then they, they, they said, we're going to go down the street to this abandoned school. And what we're going to do is we're going to put you, Matt, and Sergeant Smith in this bathroom. And we're going to see how long it takes Elvis to come get you or find you. In my mind, it was get. In my mind, it was devour, right? So here it is. Here it is. Here comes Elvis. They, they, the officer is standing down on the first floor. 
And he says, if you don't come out when I count to three, I'm gonna let the dogs out. The song wasn't there, but that'd been really cool, right? Who let the dog, you got it? All right, that'd been really cool. So who let the dogs, all right, you're with me. So who let the dogs out? So all of a sudden, one, two, three. And all of a sudden you just hear like claws on the hardwood floor. And I'm like, and he says, hey, listen, Elvis is really big. You need to lean against the door. He'll hit it pretty hard. And he's got the watch and he's clocking him right now. And about one minute and 47 seconds later on the complete other side of the school, Elvis, 125 pound German shepherd, hit the door with all its force. And then, kid you not, this is not preacher exaggeration, he bit the doorknob off. And I was leaning against the door and I looked through that little hole where the door handle was and I was like, sweet Jesus, help me. (laughs) And that is why I don't like dogs. I'm scared of them. And so here's what happens when we take a look at things right now. It's radically, radically important for us to be unified in the gospel, unified in, in, in the cause of Christ because so much matters. If the gospel changes everything, and if we are not unified in the main thing, then less, what happens is our joy is robbed, and who we are and what we do is undefined. And I think when we take a look at the book of Galatians, there was great power and great defense of the biblical gospel. We, we've said over and over again that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In essence, that's exactly what the book of Galatians is teaching. Honestly, that's what the whole Bible is teaching. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In Galatians chapter one, we see this really heralded pretty fast by Paul when he uses words like astonished and distort and accursed. When he finds out that the churches in Galatia, the Galatian region, churches that he had founded, were going away from the gospel that he had laid before them. And so he comes right off in verse six and uses some pretty harsh words. In, in Galatians chapter two, we learn very clearly that Paul is, is continuing with his testimony. See, at the end of Galatians chapter one, Paul doesn't have the credibility among the other apostles, and so therefore he starts off his message, as we know, by defending himself. By simply talking about, hey, this is who I am. This is what I've seen. The message that I'm teaching is the same message that you were taught. Yes, you saw the resurrected Jesus, but the resurrected Jesus appeared to me. It was at a different time, but it was the same revelation. And therefore, I have the same message that you have. And he's giving sort of his resume. And he goes through all of the end of chapter one. He comes up and he finishes at 124 and says, and they glorified God because of me. Well, in chapter two, Paul is aware of what's going on in the area that with, with the Galatians. In chapter two, he continues with his testimony, declaring that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and if you sacrifice the nothing for something, you will lose everything. If you sacrifice the nothing for something, you will lose everything. And what Paul is sitting there addressing among these, these, these churches, what he's, what he's going through is he's hearing that what they're doing is they're adding some parts of the Mosaic law to salvation. They're saying Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. Jesus plus circumcision and some of the, the Mosaic laws. 
You see, there were 633 laws that the Jewish people had to live by. 633. Some of them are summarized by the Ten Commandments. And here comes Paul teaching and screaming and proclaiming this message of grace because he was one on the other side of grace. Now he's been radically changed, as Bill said this morning, by changed by the beautiful, beautiful message of King Jesus. He's radically different. And he hears some people that are adjusting salvation or adding to salvation, and he's sitting here saying, listen, I was on that side of the law. That is not freedom, that is bondage, that is slavery, and I wanna come clean that up. And so he basically goes to Jerusalem, and, and that's where we're gonna pick it up in chapter two, where Paul recounts in his testimony of a meeting that he had in Jerusalem with some of the church leaders, some of the church leaders. And so let's go ahead and take a look at what it says in verse one of chapter two. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Now when he says I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, we know that Paul went to Jerusalem on his missionary tour. Three times he went to Jerusalem. There's a lot of discussion whether or not he went, this was the second time or this was the third time. At the end of the day, what we do know is that Paul came to the churches in Jerusalem, sort of the headquarters, to really settle an issue that is it true that Jesus plus nothing equals everything? Because Paul knew that it was true. He said in Romans 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation for the Jew first and all who believes. He was set on that. He had heard that there was something going on and someone coming in and distracting from that message. So let's go on to verse Number two. So he goes up 14 years later. He brings Barnabas and he brings Titus. Verse two. I went up because of a revelation and set before them. I need to stop right there. I went up because of a revelation. It is very clear, very clear, according to Acts 13.3, that Paul was led by the Spirit to do the things that Paul was able to do. Let's be very clear about this. Paul is incapable, he's not able to do anything he can do outside of the grace of God and outside of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. Paul is not a great guy who says, I think there's something going on and so I'm gonna go there. No, what happens is, is Paul is submitting himself to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit to get to Jerusalem to settle an issue that is very critical and affects greatly you and I today. As a matter of fact, I would believe, I believe that we know Jesus. Those of us who claim to know Jesus and follow Jesus, I believe we know him because of what was settled at this meeting with some of the leaders. So take a look in verse two when he says this. I went up because of a revelation. In Acts 13, three, it says this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the world to which I have called them. If gospel unity is going to happen, we first must submit ourselves to the leading of God's Holy Spirit and allow him to draw us and unify us because it's not possible in the flesh. It is only possible through God's grace and through the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. If we're going to accomplish anything for God, then we first have to sit there and say, God, I can't, but you can. You know, your marriage. It, it, those of you that are married and those of you that want to be married, here, here's, here's a great principle for that. Many times when we talk about marriage, we go to Ephesians chapter five, 
We camp out with, you know, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then it comes in Ephesians chapter five, verse 31. And it says, okay, husbands, what I want you to do is I want you to love, I want you to love your wives and wives, I want you to respect your husbands. And so it basically says, all right, you respect and you love and let's do this together. But what it, what I feel sometimes is we miss the connection to Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, which says this, do not be drunk, which, which is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. So if you want to be, if we want to be unified, if we want to have gospel unity in our marriage, it is absolutely essential for us to submit ourselves to the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Just like in marriage, if we want the marriage to be in a marriage that glorifies God, it's got to be an opportunity because, listen, two sinners cannot come together and sit there and say, I'm going to love you unconditionally and I'm going to respect you unconditionally. Let me tell you something. That is impossible outside of the grace of God through the power of his Holy Spirit. And when we look at the text here, Paul is coming to address an issue that where unity is threatened and he is armed with the Holy Spirit of God which I believe sets the stage for the rest of the chapter, the rest of this text, all the way to verse 10. Keep going. So here's what happens, what Paul does. Paul, I went up before and I had a revelation and I set before them. The question is, is who in the world is them? Though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. Here's what's going on. Paul gets wind of what's going on. He gets wind that people are adding to salvation. He gets wind of that. And so what he's doing is he's telling the Galatian churches, hey, I want to let you guys know something. I already addressed this at a meeting in Jerusalem. Let me tell you about that meeting. Here's what took place. He was revealed to go to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem. He met with some very influential people. We would call those church leaders of the day, probably people like James, Peter, and John. And he met with them to make sure that what they, what they were saying was the same thing that Paul was communicating. He said, hey, you guys are in Jerusalem. You're here. I'm off all over the place. I want to make sure that what you're saying and what I'm saying is the same thing. I'm not backing down from this message. I'm not compromising this message. I'm not giving in to this message. As a matter of fact, I'm fighting for this message. I'm fighting to preserve it. But he gets together with them just to make sure, hey, we need to have a, a good old talk. Uh, basically, you could call this a DTR. A DTR is to define the relationship. Now listen, when I was in college, Dan and I had one of these things. We went to Gardner-Webb University, and there was these swings that you could sit on. And we would often have times where we would talk about our relationship. DTR, define the relationship. I remember this one particular time, I thought everything was incredible. And I sat on the swing at Gardner-Webb and she said, crying and lots of tears, said, I, I, I think we need to break up. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? So I, she, she broke up with me and then later she got filled with the spirit and came back to me, okay? And then we got married. But, but, but here's what's going on here. So Paul is coming and he's saying, hey, listen, I, this is too important. I've left where I am to come back to this early group of people so that we can make sure that what we're talking about is the same thing. Now, go on to the next verse, or the second part of the verse. It says this, 
I set before them. The word set before them is very clear, meaning this is what I'm talking about. I'm not compromising this. I'm not going down. I'm laying before you cards on the deck. This is what I'm talking about. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And don't you or anybody else add anything to it. Because once you add something to the nothing, you lose everything. Keep going in verse number, next, keep going. I proclaim, the word proclaim means to, to boldly share with passion. Paul was a good old-fashioned preacher. He was sharing with boldness, with passion. And, and, and then he says, that I shared, I proclaim among the Gentiles in order, what is this? In order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. Now listen, when you first look at that, it also says, you, you might think, hey, Paul's questioning the, the message that he's seeing. He's like, I want to see if I'm running in vain. No, no, here's the deal. The Jerusalem church, the leaders, and Paul were on the same page. They were saying the same thing. Paul, we know, based on Romans chapter 1, verse 16, says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In Galatians 1, 6, he says very clearly that, hey, I'm, I'm astonished that you would go away from this. Please don't distort this message. Paul very clearly was not questioning his message at all. What he was frustrated at is at the thought of being unfruitful in his ministry. Not the certainty of his ministry, but unfruitful. Because what? He had a group of people that they were doing the same thing all over the world. And I want to make sure that we're saying and communicating the same thing. Because guess what? If you're drifting away or you're adding something away, Peter, James, and John, and that small group of people, then we have a major, major problem. And I'm coming in because I want to make sure that we stand on gospel unity. It's too important not to. Take a look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, But when Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now, that verse is just sort of thrown in there. And I believe that why, Titus, why did Titus come? Titus was Paul's, one of his, one of his protégés, one of the people that went around with Paul to talk about who God is. And I think what happens is Titus comes in showing that, yes, he is a, uh, he's a convert, he is a Gentile convert, and he was not circumcised, and I think that he was there to show evidence of God's great grace because I believe that Titus had a reputation among people in this area. And I'm looking, hey, he has been saved by the grace of God. And Paul used him at to, to let them see that, yes, God can save this person. I, I, a couple of years ago, I was working with a guy who gave his life to the Lord as a senior in high school. Man, he was out there, could you say? I mean, he was out there. His name was Trevor. And Trevor was just um, not living for the Lord. And, and, and he came to the church that I was uh, an associate pastor of. And, and God did some amazing things, just did some amazing things in his life, and Trevor gave his life to the Lord. And we were sitting at a restaurant and had the Bible, and we were talking about the gospel and looking at it, and this waitress came up and says, are you a Christian? And we said, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, we are. And then she said, so where did you get baptized? And he goes, I, I haven't been baptized yet. I just got saved two weeks ago. And she said, well, then you're not a believer. She said, but I will tell you this, that in order for you to be a Christian, you have, to be a, you have to be baptized in my church and I guarantee you my dad will do that. He's the pastor. So what happened right there in the middle of it? What she was doing was she was saying, Jesus plus something which took away everything doesn't give everything. It took away life. It took away joy. 
And we sat down and talked to her about that. And I think, I think what happened is, is here comes Paul and he has Titus with him. He's demonstrating very clearly that the gospel is for everyone and we must be united on that front. That he was a demonstration, a measure of God's unbelievable grace. Go on to verse four. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out. Now, now here's, here's what's going on. This is what's being taught. In Acts 15, 1, this is what's being taught. This is what Paul is responding to. Acts 15, 1 says this. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Acts 15, 5 says this. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and in order to keep the law of Moses. So here is Paul joyfully preaching, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And he catches word when he leaves the church that these people were coming in, look like a believer, sound like a believer. Do you know, do you know why Paul is fighting for the message of the gospel? Because it's too important and it changes everything. Do you know why we at Northwest have a, have a ministry covenant for you to have when you sign to be a member here at the church? Because we wanna protect the ministry of the gospel and be unified in our presentation of the gospel, in our proclamation of the gospel, and in our living out of the gospel. We do not want anything to get in the way or anything to get in the way of the, measure, of the, the message of God's grace. Nothing to get in the way of that. So Paul comes and he says this, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery, so when you have Jesus plus something that, equal, that doesn't equal everything, it equals slavery. Bring us into slavery. Verse five says this, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for, you say it, preserved for who? Pre preserved for you. And I believe that that's one of the messages that, that this meeting had with us is that that message was preserved not only for them, the Galatian churches, as he's proclaiming this to them. He said, hey, listen, guys, I went through this meeting 14 years ago. I'm coming back because, hey, listen, this is what we established in this place. I don't want works to bleed into this message because it ceases being the message when that takes place. What I love about Paul is this. He says, freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. There was no hesitation in Paul's life about the message of giving in to the message of grace through faith in God. I know I'm an elder and I need to say that I, I promise you I don't believe this disqualifies me, but I like to watch UFC fighting. Okay, I don't know if anybody here aware of what UFC fighting is, but uh, it's karate, wrestling, jujitsu, and all of that in a cage. And they fight for three rounds, and whoever gets pinned or knocked out wins. Okay, I'm not a lover of violence, but I just like a good, that's, anyway. Are we clear? All right, we're clear. Matt, you sound like you're justifying that. Um, okay, keep going. So I, uh, I, I watched the first season. It was a reality show of UFC 101. UFC 101 was an awesome, awesome demonstration of just these guys coming together and they would have to fight to continue. And so here, here's what's going on. 
what's happening is we got George that's going up to fight against this guy. And in the fight, George hurts his knee. All right. And so he's sort of taken out, but they're rehabbing his knee. And George was one of my favorite fighters. He was like 158 pound class. And man, he was Brazilian jiu-jitsu from Brazil. And I'm telling you, he was just awesome. Well, fast forward about two weeks later, two weeks later, I'm in, a, I'm in the airport in Detroit and I'm on my way to East Asia on a mission trip. And I'm walking down the corridor and all of a sudden, I kid you not, there's George. <laughs> He's a USC fighter, UFC fighter. And I looked at him and I was like, George, how's the knee? And all of a sudden we just had a connection right there in the middle of the airport. He's like, it's great, man. Are you watching me? Are you watching us fight? Oh man, it's doing great. And I said, George, I got something really important I need to tell with you. My plane's getting ready to leave, but I got something I need to tell with you right here, right now. And I had, our church was going through this thing called Love God, Love All. And uh, I had this like, like a Live Strong bracelet, but it was different colors representing the gospel and it was li- uh, Love God, Love All. And I said, George, I wanna tell you what this, this little bracelet right here means. It means, man, listen, we are sinners separated from God by nature and by choice. And listen, God came to redeem us through his son that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And man, I just wanna tell you, he said, I can't believe you just said that to me, man. Had that accent and he said, I just gave my life eight months ago to Jesus in a Bible study. He said, it's awesome. And I'm like, that's great. And and we're sitting there and we're having this discussion in, in Detroit and he's like, I said, listen, George, I want to give you this bracelet, man. I don't want this to remind you that God loves you. He's got a plan for your life and he came to save you and it's only possible through his beautiful, beautiful grace. And he says, uh, I'll take it. And I said, listen, George, probably never see you again, but if you truly have a relationship with Jesus, man, we're gonna celebrate and worship him forever in heaven. And he says, no, He says, next time you see me, man, I'm gonna be in the ring wearing this bracelet. It says, love God, love all. Give me a hug, man. (laughs) Like, that's awesome. That's unbelievable. And I'm looking at George and I'm saying, man, he's right in the middle of what is he doing? He's fighting for the gospel. He was fighting for the gospel. Okay, fighting for the gospel. You get it? And here's what Paul is doing. He's doing this for you and he's doing this for me. Is he standing up here saying, I'm not gonna let anything get in the way of this message. If you add something to the nothing, you get nothing. You lose everything. And Paul was passionate, passionate about defending that message. And so that's why he left the mission field to come back to this meeting and he's recounting this with the Galatians, the the churches in Galatia, because they had forgotten it. And Paul's like, hey, listen, I already had this, I already dealt with this. I'm coming in here to remind you that this is what took place. Let's continue on. Verse six says this, and from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for those who worked through Peter and his apostolic ministry to the circumcision worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. What I desire and what I I think we as a church desire is is the same thing that we see in Paul. Because here's what Paul is doing right here. He's fighting for the gospel. He's led in the spirit. He's passionate about allowing people to see the amazing grace in his life. So let's just picture this right here. We have this guy, his name is Paul. 
or his name is Saul, and they changed his name to Paul. But before, when he was Saul, he was a persecutor. He was killing Christians. He was trying to eliminate their message. And then this magnificent issue of grace overcame his life, and he became a passionate follower and devoted follower of Jesus Christ and a herald of that great message. And what his life was, is it was a demonstration of God's amazing grace. Like Titus was a demonstration of the grace that was given to God in Titus' life. And sometimes people look at it and say, yeah man, Matt, that's, that's God's grace. You're able to do this because of God's grace. You're able to be saved because of God's grace. Let me ask you this, in the people that you're investing in, do you see God's grace extended to you in their life? because of your influence. Because here's what took place in Titus. They could see the evidence of Paul's message and the transformation of that message in Titus's life. And they could see Paul fighting and defending this message. And then all of a sudden, they got together and they started talking in a larger group and said, all right, what are we gonna do? And I love what it says in verse seven. When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, Because here's, I think, what they saw. They saw someone in Acts chapter nine before he was saved, probably Acts chapter seven and eight. They heard of this guy who was terrifying and persecuting Christians. And then they're standing before someone who is on their team and walking with them and saying, wow, God, you, this is evident of God's grace and and unity, gospel unity, in the church is a demonstration of God's magnificent and amazing grace. And that's what we're here to display. We're not here to display our glory, or his, we're here to display his glory and his grace overflowing in our lives. And, and then here's, here's what I love. He comes down and he says, they give the right hand of fellowship. I don't know about you, but you know, I grew up in a church, I didn't really know what the right hand of fellowship was. And I remember the pastor sitting up front on some occasion saying, I'm going to be standing at the back. And when I stand at the back, you come and give me the right hand of fellowship. You must have not grown up in a church like that. Okay. They would always say that. I mean, I listened. My father-in-law is a pastor, and I worked with him for a while. And man, he would always say, come to the back, and I'll give you the right hand of fellowship. And I really didn't really understand until this week I understood what it meant. What he's talking about is saying, hey, I support you. It's not just a handshake. It's We are brothers in this mission to herald the greatest message in the world. And this meeting established that. And that's what he's reminding the churches of Galatians about. He's reminding them, hey, listen, we got together, we shook on it, we chest bumped maybe today, or whatever the case is, high five, low five, whatever the case is. But Paul is basically looking at those guys and looking at each other, all right, we got it. You're going over here, we're gonna go over here, and we're gonna go and we're gonna tell them the same thing, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's what he's recounting with those in this text. What I love about being unified, because the right hand of fellowship demonstrates very clearly that they're unified, that they're all in one page. That Hey, listen, we've come together, we had the DTR, we've defined the relationship, I'm fighting for it, you're fighting for it, let's make sure what we're saying is the same thing. Because history shows us that a lot of times churches will bleed to the left. They will lead to the left. They will drift away. 
I grew up in Connecticut. I went to Timothy Edwards Middle School. Timothy Edwards' grandfather is Jonathan Edwards who read a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and I had no idea who Timothy Edwards was until I went to seminary. Because in that area, what happened is liberalism and liberal theology has overcome them. Princeton, Yale, and all of those, those schools have walked away. And Paul is like, hey, listen, I was on the other side and I was bound. And this grace thing, boy, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And I am not gonna let anybody hear anything but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's what he's testifying to the Galatian leaders there. I love how he closes the verse Sometimes it might even say that, uh, that's a little odd. Why did he just say that? How did he say that or why did he say that? This is what it says in verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, now here's, here's what's going on in verse 10. Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were known to have less financial backing than the Jews. They didn't have as much. They were poor. And so Paul, one of Paul's ministries was to the Gentiles. He understood them. He was okay with that. He went to them to provide a social need in order to, to let them land on what the true gospel is. Jesus was not just healing people just to heal people. He was healing people to have an audience to tell them about who he was. And so when, when, when they close the text here, when they close the text, they're saying, hey, listen, I want you to get after it they had a meeting. They had a resolution. Man, you're fighting for the gospel, Paul. We agree. We're saying the same thing. We agree that your message is the same as our message. Man, you go to the Gentiles. Peter says, I'm going to go to the, to the Jews. Now you go after it. And then it comes down to verse 10 and he says, all right, go take care of the poor. In essence, what that is saying is, Paul, go do what you were called to do. That's what he said. Go do what you were called to do. Don't waste time, don't complain. Go reach the poor and communicate Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And in essence, living that statement was an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. And I'm gonna read one verse as we close down. Jesus, right before he's getting ready to be crucified, said this in John 17. He said this, starting in verse 11. I am no longer in the world but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, here's his prayer. Look at it. Look at the unity that Jesus is praying for. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. But now, I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And what Jesus is praying for is that they would be unified in the purpose of the gospel. And Paul is an answer to that prayer about what he's doing with the Galatians. I believe that we here at Northwest have a beautiful, beautiful spirit of unity under the gospel but it's incredibly important the season that we're getting ready to go in to build a building and, and, and land and building and all of that kind of stuff. It is very, very important that we do not lose sight of what God's called us to do so that at the end of the day, just like he told Paul, go. Go do what you were called to do. We're unified. We're under the same umbrella. 
and let's get after it and let's do it. And I think the end of the day, we never want to be about a building. We never want to be about just what kind of carpet or, or what kind of chairs or this and whatever the case is. I think what we want to be about is we want to be about the gospel, the beautiful, beautiful message of the gospel that Paul stood before the Galatians and said, hey, listen, I've already had this talk. We nailed this down. You get in shape and let's go do it. So what does it look like for us? I'd love for this week for you to talk about that in your life. What does it look like for us to be unified under the umbrella of the gospel? The gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if you add something to the nothing, you cease having everything and your joy is lost. That's not what God wants. That's not what Jesus died for. And that's not what Paul is heralding. So let's be an answer to Jesus' prayer that we were unified like they were because of and for the gospel under the grace of Jesus. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I love you and I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, for the beauty of the gospel. I thank you for what it means. I thank you for what it doesn't mean. I thank you that we can be set free from the gospel. I thank you that you are good and perfect and every good and perfect gift comes from above. I pray, God, that we would fight in our homes and in our church and our workplaces for unity, but gospel unity, because that's what changes everything. We thank you that we can sit here and we can pray and we can preach and we can teach and we can talk. But at the end of the day, God, we want to honor you in everything we say and do. And we pray that as we sing to you right now, we would declare and we would declare the gospel. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.